If I told you how I came to the point of sharing this message with you this morning, you would say you're loony. And I am. Uh, you okay? But the other night, uh, I, I was struggling all week with what, what to speak on. I kind of had an idea of where God wanted me to go, but even as late as uh, Friday, I still had not come to that point where I knew exactly where he wanted me to go. And as it turns out, I believe that he wants me to give you all a refresher course in something that you already know. So that's what we're going to do this morning. But he got me there through an interesting way. Uh, now, my alarm in, my, in, in, in our bedroom, my alarm is always set for 7.20 a.m. No, I am not an early riser. I do not like mornings. I do not like early mornings. Do not make me an appointment before 10 o'clock. I'm not interested. Okay? I'm a night owl. I like to stay up at night. And I typically don't go to bed until 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but at any rate, my alarm is set for 7.20. So I had this on my mind the other night, and the power kept going off. Did y'all's power keep going off, Joy? It would go off for a couple seconds, come back on, go off, come back on. Well, every time it did that, it reset my alarm clock. So I had to go set the alarm clock. I had to set the time. I had to set 7.20. Well, we went to bed, and sometime through the night, the power flickered just enough to turn off my alarm. So I didn't wake up. So I had this thing on my mind, 7.20, 7.20. So then I, when I was sleeping, I dreamed. I dreamt that I was in front of a huge congregation and I was preaching on 720. 720. So I said, what in the world is this obsession I suddenly have with this 720? Well, it is a fascinating exercise, and this is exactly what I did when I sat down in front of my computer yesterday morning and then later in the evening too at night when I got back from the auction I did I did the PowerPoint late last night have you ever opened your Bible and gone from book to book to book looking at the same chapter same verse I did that so if you look at Matthew 720 then Mark 720 then Luke 720 then John 720 it preaches a message just those verses. So perhaps the Lord will allow me that we will look at each one of those messages and you can go on into Acts uh, and then, then a lot of the uh, books in the, old, in the New Testament don't have a 720. Now, some of them have a 7 but not a 20. Some of them don't even have a 7. A lot of them don't even have a 7. But if you'll just open your Bible, it's an interesting study. Just go from 720 to 720, 720. I haven't done it in the Old Testament. I'm going to do that, though. I'm going to go through the Old Testament, 720, and see what God teaches me. But 720 is going to be our focus. And uh, I don't know why God's taking me there. I, I believe in weird things. I don't know whether y'all believe in weird things, but I just, I just when, when God gives me impressions, I don't know whether it's this way with you, Pastor Robert, but but you're sitting there, you're wondering, you're wondering, you're wondering, and all of a sudden God impresses on you something, and all of a sudden you feel comfortable. 
You just feel at ease. Oh, this is it. This is it. And so 720. So we're going to look at the passage that's wrapped around 720, which will be the last verse that we go through today in the book of Matthew. Okay, so we're going to start with Matthew, the 7th chapter, the 15th verse. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, the whole book, chapter 7 in the book of Matthew is about judging. He starts off the chapter, Jesus starts off the chapter by saying, judge not lest ye be judged. And then he goes through all kinds of judgment issues as he's progressing down to verse 15. A different thing. Don't, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that, that he talks about is don't fuss about uh, the uh, speck in someone else's eye when you've got a two by four sticking out of your own. Okay? So, so that's the kind of the vein that, that Jesus is taking us on in Matthew the seventh chapter. So here, He's warning us that false prophets are going to come and they're going to be disguised in sheep's clothing. Now, the picture that I have up here is, is the best one that I found. I've used this same notion before. I've shown you different pictures of wolves in sheep's clothing. But what's cool about this picture is that it shows you just how subtle the, the ravenous wolf can be. Now, can you pick out the wolf? Obviously, he's center screen, right? But it's kind of hard to recognize him because he really makes himself look like a sheep. Those are the most dangerous wolves there are. The one that you can't readily identify. The one that appears to be the sheep. The one that appears to be authentic and real and original. But in reality, they're a wolf. Now, one thing that, that the scripture doesn't specifically point out, but it kind of alludes to as we progress a little, is that there are some wolves in sheep's clothing that don't even realize that they are a wolf. They're not intentionally misguiding people away from the truth, but they're misguiding them just the same. They have a good heart, but their methods are being guided by someone else besides God. They are those people, there are people out there that are gently, ever so gently, leading people away from the Word of God instead of toward the Word of God, and they don't even realize they don't. In fact, they're so deceived by their own selves, by their own minds, that they are just believing wholeheartedly that they are worshiping God and that they are leading people to the true God. They, they just believe. But in reality, they're not. Because the problem is, for a lot of folks, that Genesis 1-1 is where it starts. Revelation 22-21 is where it ends. And it is all God's word, and you can't throw any of it out. You can't deny any of its truth. You can't pick and choose what you want to live by. It's either all or nothing. Old Testament, New Testament. The Old Testament is certainly not dead as a pastor. The Old Testament is just as important now as it ever has been. You can't throw it away. And the laws that are outlined in the Old Testament are just as important. And you can't throw bits and pieces of it away. So if 
There are wolves within the shepherd's fold. They are so well disguised that even the sheep around them accept them. But that doesn't make them any less evil. And we must be able to recognize them. Jesus is telling us to beware of those false prophets. They come to us in sheep's clothing. They are really ravenous wolves and Satan is working through them to destroy his church. Have you ever been in a church, and, and some of you have, I don't know all the history of this church, but I'm sure some of you have been in a church that split. You ever been in a church that split? Uh, I don't know. I, I've been in churches that have split. Uh, I've seen other churches split. A lot of the time, it's because there was a wolf in sheep's clothing in the middle of that congregation and they created the split. What circumstance would make Satan happy? When his church, I mean, excuse me, when God's church, say that, I need to say this right. When God's church, who is worshiping a true and, and loving God, expanding winning souls to Christ, experiencing revival, when that church gets in an inside fight and splits, that makes Satan happy. Because it distracts us from our work. It distracts us from what we're supposed to be doing for Christ. And the wolf that he sends in sheep's clothing into that church is the most dangerous element in a, in a healthy growing church that it needs to look out for. So so Christ is telling us, beware of the false prophets. And then he says this, it's, it's very important uh, that we become very good fruit inspectors. He says, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? In other words, what he's saying here is that, that true Christians, true believers, true worshipers of God, will produce fruit. You don't go to a thorn bush to pick grapes. Grapes are not on a thorn bush. Grapes are on a grapevine. You don't go to thistles to pick figs. Figs are not on a thistle bush. Figs are on a fig tree. You go to the true source to get the true fruit. You understand what I'm saying? You need to examine the fruit from someone because if their fruit is good, if their fruit is holy, then you can judge that they are holy. And if their fruit is corrupt, and if their fruit is, is bringing brokenness and bringing despair rather than bringing peace and love, then, then that fruit is, that bad fruit is revealing to you a bad source. I'm not saying that very well, but I hope that you're getting my meaning here. You are required by Christ to be a fruit inspector. Now, he reminded you, remember back at the beginning of chapter 7, we didn't read that verse, but it basically says, judge not lest you be judged. So if you are going to inspect my fruit, then you better inspect your fruit first. Inspect your fruit. 
and then you inspect my fruit. Now, if you inspect my fruit and see me putting out nasty, rotten, ugly fruit, then you know you don't need to be listening to me anymore. Because my vine is corrupt. And even though I might be fat, dumb, and happy, I might be leading you astray unintentionally by my own heart being led by something other, some spirit other than God's spirit. Did I say that right? <laughs> I think I said that right. I'm just trying to get the point to you that we have to be fruit inspectors and we have the right to be fruit inspectors and in fact we have the command to be fruit inspectors. You should never trust my words lest you judge my fruit. I should never trust your words unless I judge your fruit. I need to know the source of the wisdom that you may impart to me. If that source of wisdom is not good, then why should I listen to you? If I am confident that the source of wisdom that you have and can offer me is from God, then I should partake of it greedily because it's from God. So we have a charge, we have a responsibility, we have a requirement to inspect fruit. Turn on the TV, listen to an evangelist, listen to a TV preacher, listen to evolution, listen to any of these new springs or any of these mega churches that are around. Listen to the pastor. But before you do, examine their fruit. Because you don't want to be misled. Understand that Satan is a wily booger. He's not going to approach you looking like a wolf. He's going to approach you looking almost identical to a sheep. That's how he's going to approach you. So don't be deceived. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. I think uh, Jesus is, is really kind of trying to hammer home the same point, so I'm going to do the same thing he's doing. I'm going to keep trying to hammer home the same point. If you are a good tree, you cannot help but produce good fruit. It is not in your nature to produce bad fruit. If you are a corrupt tree, then you will produce corrupt fruit, evil fruit. That is in your nature. You can't help it. Even that sheep right there, that wolf in sheep's clothing, even that sheep, that wolf, even though it is so beautiful and looks so much like a sheep, even that wolf is going to produce corrupt fruit. <coughs> if you have a sheep or a wolf looking like a sheep in your congregation or in your, in your family or whatever, they are the ones that are sitting there dividing. They're creating opposition. They're creating heartache. They're creating an environment 
that is designed to distract you from learning the Holy Word of God. I've seen that happen in churches because they get hooked on these theologies. See, I, I, I've seen it in a church before on, on the issue of tongues. They just get they just get hooked. They, somehow, some some way, they, they just get hooked on that one thing, and they just it, it just got to be. It's just got to be. And we've got to change the whole church to do it. We've got to do this when when that's not the biblical way. And they don't even realize that they're pulling a church apart or pulling or dividing the congregation or distracting the congregation from the whole truth of God. They didn't, they're, they, they're an innocent pawn in the hands of a wily devil. But if you look at the fruit, you will know the source. Because if the fruit is bad, you're guaranteed that the source is bad. If the fruit is good, you're guaranteed that the source is good. Jesus is making it as simple as he can for you and for me to understand who we're dealing with. When Pastor Robert and I go to that meeting this afternoon, we, like I did last week, we will be sitting there and we should be fruit inspectors. Because people are going to be talking to us about their own life experiences. They're going to be talking to us about whatever film they're going to show us today, they're going to be talking about these things, and we're going to have to discern quickly in our own hearts through the wisdom only provided to us by God, we're going to have to discern are they good or bad? Are they for us or against us? Are they sheep or are they wolves? Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. You ever notice that, that at uh, uh, a peach orchard, if you go by a peach orchard or an apple orchard, go by a grape uh, vineyard, if you go by these places, then you will see stages of life in the trees. If you, if you spend any time in an orchard, I used to drive by Windy Hill over here in York all the time. We used to go back and forth to Blacksburg and Greenville and Spartanburg in that area all the time, just, just about, I don't know, daily almost. Uh, I would go back and forth over there. And I'd pass by there, and you can look out in that orchard, and you can see some really old trees in one area and some, and some really young trees in some other areas because they have to keep planting new trees and keep cultivating new trees because when the old trees get to the point where they're producing bad fruit, what do they do with them? They cut them down. They burn them in the fire. That's the process. When we recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing inside the church or in our families or wherever they are, we need to hone it down and throw it in the fire. Ooh, that's drastic, isn't it? That's the truth. You've got to take that action for the preservation of the family, for the, for the preservation, preservation of the church. You have to hone down the tree and throw it in the fire. Now, lest you think that that's inconsistent with other places in the scripture, that's exactly what Paul taught in Corinthians. When they had somebody in the church that was creating a ruckus, what did he say do? Kick them out! Cut down the tree. Throw them in the fire. Hopefully, when you do, 
they will turn to God for salvation. Repentance will come into their heart. And when you do see that they have repented, what do you do? You welcome them back in. Right? Well, that doesn't make sense. How do you burn them up and then welcome them back in? You ever seen a, a forest burn? You ever seen a forest burn? Okay, let me make it. Uh, have you ever seen a, a, a farmer burn off a field before? You see that, right? You guys, are you all wait? Come on, guys, go like this. Go like this. You see a fire burn in, in a field, right? Somebody go out. And they, what they do is they go all around and they start the fire on one side of the field and they let it burn slowly and they burn off the whole field. Guess what happens about two weeks after that fire is out? New growth pops up from everywhere. Fire just it's got rid of all the nasty, junky, messy trash in the field. And it created an environment where new growth could come up. Perfect example of what Christ is talking about here. You cut down the old tree, you burn it, and then you plant a new tree. And that new tree can be a good tree and produce good fruit. So there's consistency throughout the scripture. One, one last thought on this particular scripture is that you cannot hide your fruit. Your fruit, your my fruit can't hide that. It will be revealed to the people around you whether you like it or not. You can't hide your fruit. If you're producing bad fruit, you can't disguise that bad fruit as good fruit. Because people around you can recognize the difference and Christ can recognize the difference. God can recognize the difference and he will take actions based on what he sees as your fruit. If you think that you can get away with being a bad actor or a wolf in sheep's clothing and you think that you can get away with that, you're mistaken. The axe in the picture is owned by God, not by man. A bad actor, a wolf in sheep's clothing, God can take out and can take out quickly. So don't ever be disillusioned. God is still in control. And we, as his people, need to hone our skills as fruit inspectors and recognize the sheep, I mean the wolves in sheep's clothing, and take care of the issue as much as we can. And let God handle the rest. Tough. But you all already knew this. I'm not preaching to you anything that you already did, that you didn't already know. All I'm doing is giving you a refresher course. And then, of course, chapter 7, verse 20. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. I don't know how Christ could put it any more succinctly to us. 
We must become professional fruit inspectors. Now here's where I think that we mess up sometimes. Sometimes we think that because of a person's position, for example, as a famous preacher with a huge congregation, we think in our minds that there's no way in this world that God would ever allow a wolf to pastor a church with thousands and thousands of members and be so famous. So what we do in our minds is we say, well, God wouldn't allow that to happen, so we'll just accept their preaching, their, accept their talk, accept what they're saying as truth, and we will fail to inspect their fruit. You should never, ever do that. You have to inspect the fruit. Figure it out. We have information available to us right here on my phone. I have information that, that has never, ever been available to me before. I can pull up anybody's name on here. If you ever go on the internet, you need to pull up your own name one day. <laughs> You'd be amazed what people can read about you. So I can pull up somebody's name, some famous preacher that I want to listen to on radio or I want to listen to on the TV, and I can pull them up and I can look at them and I can do some investigations in a heartbeat and I can start examining the fruits. And God promised that he would reveal to us what is good fruit and what is bad fruit. And God promised to us right here in this scripture that we can identify the good from the bad by simply examining the fruit. And we will be known we will be known by our fruit and they should be judged by their fruit. And everyone should know what's good and what's bad by the look of the fruit. Did you like those strawberries? Which of those strawberries would you like to eat? I think I'd take the ones on the left, on your left, right? The ones on your right Look pretty nasty to me. Are you a fruit inspector? I hope you are. I want to read to you just a, a short excerpt from Guzik's commentary on this passage. He says that we, in closing, he said we should pay attention to the manner of living a teacher shows. Do they show righteousness, humility, and faithfulness in the way they live? We should pay attention to the content of their teaching. Is it true fruit from God's word, or is it man-centered, appealing to the ears that want to be tickled? We should pay attention to the effect of their teaching. Are people growing in Jesus or merely being entertained and eventually fading falling away. Fruit inspectors. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Matthew 7 20. Okay, Matt. <laughs>